Good morning, everybody. Please, can you uh, find your seats so we can start? We're running a little bit late. I think it was clear from uh, Radislav Albrecht, I had to read that, the session, plenary session yesterday, that blockchain has massive potential in the financial services industry. But will it disrupt the industry like Uber and Airbnb, or will it merely be an um, application in a customized uh, um, point? So, my name is Matthew Zalstra, and I'll be chairing the session today to answer the question, how will blockchain change your life? I've got two great speakers who will be talking about this question. Um, what, what we're going to do is we're going to have them back to back for 40 minutes and then open up the floor for, for questions. So the first speaker is Louis Rousseau. He is the head of research and analytics at Genry, and the title of his talk is Cutting Through the Blockchain Hype. Thank you. Thank you. Is, am I on? There we go. Thank you, everyone. Um, I have to apologize. I have a bit of a frog in my throat. So if I do this and run away, I'm going to start coughing. So <laughs> sorry about that. Hopefully you can hear me clearly. Um, I wanted to talk to you today about um, cutting through the blockchain hype, really trying to understand, you know, there's a lot of hype and a lot of noise about blockchain technology out there. How can we really differentiate what is going to be transformative, what is going to be essential, what is going to be really cool going forward, and what is a bit more boring and, and less interesting kind of applications of the technology. That's kind of the point of my talk today. But to do that, um, I have to go through, um, sort of go back a little bit in history and really explain to you where this, where this technology is coming from. Um, kind of cover some of Radislav's points again, but maybe at a slightly different angle in terms of how, how we talk about the technology. Anyway, back in 2008, the world was in crisis. Financial services was, um, you know, completely facing a massive crisis. Global financial crisis, um, uh, big brand names going bankrupt, a um, lot of distrust in the financial services industry. Trust was at an all-time low in this financial service in industry. Not that it was that high to begin with, uh, but it was definitely very low. Even institutions didn't want to lend money to each other at that point in time. Credit dried up completely. And into the space of no trust stepped Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, a, pseudonymous, uh, a pseudonym. We don't know who he, she, it, they are. Um, and, um, but in, in November 2008, right in the middle of this crisis, they published a white paper for Bitcoin explaining that they've been working on a new electronic cash system that's fully peer-to-peer -peer with no trusted third party. You can, read the, you can download the paper at that link. It's very accessible text, very readable. If you're really interested in this technology, really spend some time and, and, and go through that. There's a lot of points, but um, double spending is prevented with a peer-to-peer -peer network. Uh, there's no mint or other, other trusted parties, and pa participants can be anonymous. It's, at the moment, it's pseudo-anonymous, but they're building a lot of tech on top that makes it a bit more anonymous. Anyway, in this paper, he goes through the key features of the Bitcoin blockchain and, and, and basically sets out kind of the, the building blocks, if I have to use that pun, and uh, it sets out the building blocks of what, what a blockchain is all about. The first bit is the transactions. Transactions are protected by public, private key, elliptic, curve cryptography. I manage that one. Um, and and that's, that's basically saying I can privately sign a transaction and make that public and anybody can verify that I've signed that transaction without, without being able to sign my transactions for me. So it's a way to privately sign something off and everybody else can verify that, it's, that this is the truth without revealing that private key or that private secret. So it's a way to make sure transactions are authentic. The next bit is, is a time stamping process. It's all about trying to 
figuring out, figure out which transaction happened first. We need a time standing process because we're talking about a digital money, um, and digital money has the problem of double spending. If you spend money, to, if I pay B, if I'm A and I pay B, um, nothing prevents me from copying that same transaction and paying C, uh, unless there's a time stamping process. If there's a time stamping process, then we know that if I paid somebody else um, first, that first transaction happened and any subsequent transaction cannot spend the same money again. And that's part of the blockchain technology. The other aspect is proof of work, um, which is really a way to protect this, this ledger of transactions that are being timestamped really a way to say, well, we can't go back in time and reverse this history of transactions, and it's a mathematical way to protect that history. I'm not going to go into the details. Um, um, I'm happy to talk for hours about the topic, so hit me afterwards if, you, if you're interested in more, more details on that. And the, and the proof of work is that mathematical function. And then there's incentives for all this work being done, and this is the mining reward that, that, that uh, Radislav spoke about yesterday as well. And then the, the, the last bit, last building block of this Bitcoin blockchain is a peer-to-peer -peer network that makes it decentralized and censorship resistant. Um, what this is, is a bunch of computers all around the world, you saw 7,000, they estimate they actually way more, 7,000 are ones that you can see, and there's a lot more hidden ones out there as well. Um, this decentralized network receives, shares information on transactions, they share information about new blocks, and every node is, is active in this network. The magical thing about these nodes, though, is that they don't trust anybody else. Each node verifies everything they receive, verifies that the, the, the keys in the transactions make sense, verifies that the proof of work in the blocks make sense, and this um, means that that node is acting in a, a trustless manner. And this is where the magic lies. That combination of these building blocks is where the magic lies that makes it a decentralized system. Um, and also, um, that also makes it censorship resistant. So if you, anybody can run a node anywhere in the world, anybody can access this financial system, if you will, without any censorship, without any uh, 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 problems and, 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 and restrictions that we see in a normal financial system, which is uh, exciting and scary on both, on both ends. But this now network of nodes is actually then creating this network of, of a financial network that really is bigger than the sum of the parts so that we can um, even though these nodes individually don't trust each other, the consensus to which these nodes um, drift creates a valuable network that you can trust upon and rely on, rely on um, quite significantly. And this is what's, you know, to me, the, the essence of Bitcoin and the, and the blockchain technology behind it. Um, now, all, all the stuff that I spoke about is essentially talking about something like layer one. It's the, it's the underlying technology that forms the basis, the building blocks of this new financial system or this new, this new network of, 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 of financial things that are happening. And, and, but they keep on building on top of that. They're talking about lots of different technologies, side chains. Um, I'm going to focus just on the Lightning Network, which is currently being sort of developed and being uh, finalized, which is going to sit on top of this uh, Bitcoin network and going to allow instantaneous payments. If there was a question about this yesterday, so that's why I'm highlighting it now. Um, that's going to allow essentially speed of light uh, payments between uh, parties, which means that also they can take the transactions out of the blockchain, but still rely on the blockchain as a fallback mechanism if trust breaks down between them. So if I, me, uh, me and another party exchanging money, we can do so until one of us misbehaves and then we go back to the blockchain to, 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 to resolve any problems that we have, again, in a decentralized, censorship, trustless manner. 
There's a lot of other stuff happening as well. I'm not going to, I wanted to talk a little bit about smart contracts. I think it was covered well yesterday about smart contracts and the technology around it. I do want to say that the, the Bitcoin blockchain also can handle smart contracts in a little bit more restricted way, but there is also a lot of scope there and a lot of developments in that space. The other, the other space is kind of drifting more to this consortium idea, this idea that's being developed about distributed ledgers. And, and what I want to talk about here is that um, people are now playing with those building blocks of the Bitcoin blockchain and exchanging them out and trying different things, looking at how can I change proof of work? How can I change blocks? Can I remove blocks completely? A lot of these, a lot of these uh, distributed ledgers don't have blocks. So we talk about blockchain tech, but they don't have blocks often. So they are changing the technology and playing around with the building blocks of those. I'm going to cover some of the same ones that um, Radislav did. I'm going to go quite quickly through this. I don't want to bore you with this. I have some text in there. If you want to download the presentation afterwards, you can hit those and, 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 look, and read up more on these. Corda is one example. It's an open source distributed ledger platform. They have states, instead of just money and, and Bitcoin, they have states, represent the current status of something, and then transactions change that state and they keep track of that. But now they don't have necessarily have a blockchain to do the timestamping. They might have a notary or a, or a, couple, of, a couple of notary services that act as a timestamping services. And then we, the, we spoke about oracles that provide input from the real world into, this, into the smart contracts, into these, into these, into these blockchains. App Ledger is another example. I'm going to skip over that. And then B3i is the reinsurance insurance kind of uh, blockchain consortium that's being developed uh, sort of globally, focusing mainly, mainly on the short-term non-life side. Um, uh, Genry has recently, I'm with Genry, Genry has recently joined this consortium as well. Um, and they're using Hyperledger technology and to really talk about this. So um, one of the things that they talk about often, and you saw it in Radislav's presentation as well, is data standards. Now, as anybody who's worked in the, uh, I've worked in the life reinsurance industry for some time, and we've often talked about data standards. What if all the life insurers and life reinsurers all agree about one data standard, and we share data, and all you know live happy together? That is what you need to run one of these blockchains, and it is quite difficult to achieve. Um, I haven't seen anybody come close in the 15, 20 years that I've been in the life reinsurance space, and I, I think that's going to be a major challenge um, to have a general solution in the space. And I also want to puts to you that there's other things that we can look at, so I'll cover that now. Um, another uh, partnership that Genry has made is with IX Ledger, um, uh, another company trying to look at the space between the insurer, the reinsurer, the broker, and, and trying to explore um, possibilities to use blockchain technology there to really to make processes efficient, to, to save money, save expenses, and, and make things a lot more efficient and, and, and quick for, for all the parties involved, and transparent as well, as much as possible. Um, but now to really think about these use cases, I want to just put them in context in, in terms of where, um, how techno technology develops in general. How does technology roll out? And uh, I'm basing this off a paper from Harvard Business Review where they sort of talk about the patterns of technology adoption, taking the internet and the blockchain and contrasting those two and sort of trying to say, where are we headed with this technology? What, what's going to happen in this world? And, and this starts out with um, a single use case. So I'm going to talk about the internet now. Um, the single use case for the internet was when the internet came out first, all you could do on the internet was email. That was a single use case. Okay, that developed um, to sort of substitutes and localized kind of use cases for the internet. Um, the localized example was when when your company got email. I don't know if some of you were around when your company got email for the first time. Um, I remember I was an intern. I think it was at Metropolitan, and all you could do is you could email, you could email people inside the company. 
that's kind of a localized use case. You couldn't really use it in a broader context, right? Um, and um, a, a similar example for the internet was when companies started to build private networks between themselves rather than on the general internet, another localized use case of how, how the internet is being used. And then you have substitute use cases, which are things like um, buying a book online. It's just a substitute for something you did offline. Um, it's not really transformative. It's just changing the way that you buy books. That can develop over time into quite something quite transformative, which, which then happened with the internet. We're starting to see massive transformation in the way the, the world is run with, with due to the internet, mobile technology, all those things converging and creating a transformative experience. Um, I'd like to take Google as an example of that. Um, it's an obvious one. We, the way we look for information has completely changed in the last decade or two decades. It's completely transformed the way everything works, essentially. Uber is another example. It's transforming the way transport works in a, in a, in a, in a, very, in a very different way. Our blockchain, Bitcoin people see as a, as a, as a single use at the moment. It's you know, payments. You can send money anywhere in the world. That's your single use. Your localized use is the examples that I just gave. It's industry consortiums working together trying to solve a very localized problem. And actually, it's not that exciting because there's a whole transformative space out there that we, that we need to look at. And that's really um, um, the, these, these localized bit blockchains are interesting. And it's a nice place to experiment, but I'm worried that we focus on those as those efficiency gains, those expense savings, as those boring things, as, as the final use case of blockchain. And I think this, it can be so much more and so much more exciting. Um, I spoke about the internet companies to, 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 then, uh, sorry, to go then on onto this transformative use cases, which I think might be out there. I'm going to start with actually focusing on what happened to these internet companies. Um, Google, uh, Uber, all those companies are massive companies and they're starting to become quite centralized and they're collecting all your information they know everything about you and essentially you cannot go about life without trusting the central points facebook is another example facebook knows your social graph you have to trust an entity with that social graph and and, and this is the centralization forces in this these new internet economy companies is quite massive and quite substantial and it's something that people are starting to be afraid of and, and i'm certainly afraid of it um, I'm talking with two hats on. I'm on the analytics side, which is, of course, quite excited about all this data in one place. Um, but on the, on the, on the, as an individual, it is a little bit scary, and, and I'd, I'd like to see more control of that. And this is what I believe um, blockchain technology can do, both for these internet companies as well as for financial services companies, which have traditionally been very centralized and requiring lots of trust um, and, and, and the like. So this, this, is, this is why I want to think about a world where um, blockchain and digital apps and ether apps and 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 bitcoin um allows us to really decentralize these massive central points of failure these massive 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 central points of which we have to trust imagine a world where you can you can um control how your search history is used where you are in control of that and and you can use it as a transactional mechanism to really say well i'll give you my search history in exchange for something know how can we make a transaction how can we empower the individual in this process to really gain back control over their life and the same applies to financial services and, 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 fun, and, and industry and I think there's some some exciting ideas emerging um, and this is what I really think people should should be focusing on on, on commercial side here's just a few example of from blocks.org they're building sort of uh, building blocks to allow companies to 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 partake in this new decentralized world um, 
Um, I'm going to. I just noticed now on the on the app that this is a health session, so I'm going to focus on Afia. Um, they generate. They allow people to keep their personal health records and then transactionally share that with people as and when needed. And it's a, it's a, pl a platform to really manage your health records, but not in a centralized fashion. Do not save it on Google's Drive. Do not save it in, 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 in your health insurer's uh, company. Really control it for yourself and, 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 then, and then share it as and when needed and, and within your control. CASA is another example. is an open, it's a decentralized Airbnb. No longer are, are you as a, as a renter or a, or a rentee. I don't know what's the opposite. Um, you're beholden to you having your history of your ratings and your, 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 your score on Airbnb. Um, you, you become beholden to the platform. You can't leave that platform because that's how you generate your income. And this, these kind of platforms allow us to take control of that, decentralize that, but keep the good points. Keep the fact that that rating history is kept and it's open and it's decentralized and everybody can see that. Open Bazaar is an online um, uh, eBay, a decentralized eBay, essentially that's recently launched into quite large beta. It's quite an interesting. Killed is a is a is a is a Twitter-based or a somewhere between Twitter and WordPress, but decentralized. So imagine if you you host your blog, but you actually host it on your own PC and only share it when you need to. Um, and that's the same for all others. So it's quite interesting. Um, Consent is a local example. I just wanted to throw one local example that's really talking to identity as a, in a decentralized way. Many countries in the world don't have their own identity platforms. They don't have a way. They don't have an identity number. They don't have an identity book. How can we decentralize this, this feature in any way which is often corrupt or problematic or not functioning in a, in a digital enough fashion? And they're trying to look at how can we decentralize this, the identity. I think another example is Civic from from, from, from Vinnie Lingham. Um, and, and then also how, how you do, do things with your data as well. How do you share your data? How, do you, how can you transactionalize your data sharing? Um, here's an insurance example. Um, Teambrella, they're trying to get people together um, and not actually provide insurance covering. They're getting people together to form essentially what's a sort of a limited stock file, trying to that the group together decides what insurance claims get paid. I think they're focused on small, small, shorter, short-term item insurance. Um, but the concept is that the individuals in the group decide the underwriting rules and the claims rules, and and all this is protected, protected in a cryptographic with cryptographic tools with smart contracts, such that the group, uh, no individual in the group can can run away with the funds, but also that the group is happy with the way that they, 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 their team is running and, and how their protection is being shared. And this is the transformative use case, I think, in the insurance space where we see um, you know, the emergence of, you know, the re-emergence of peer-to-peer, -peer, the re-emergence of this, this, this uh, community-based in insurance um, in, a, in, a, in a decentralized fashion. I think the same is possible for investment um, products, and I think there must be some exciting possibilities in investment space. I don't, know, I don't know enough of the area, but collective investment schemes lends itself to the concept of being, being in a collective and, and having a, 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 a contract to protect that. Okay. So to summarize, I'm going to just focus on sort of the, the corporate viewpoint and the individual viewpoint and, and just focus on that. Um, from a corporation's point of view, I think um, my key point is that we need to really, we need to go through all those steps. We, need to, we can't just jump to straight to the end. We can't jump to these transformative experiences, but really, really need to keep those in mind. We don't, we don't want to stop at you know, saving 5% on your claims, saving 5% on your admin um, or, or your reinsurance admin. We really, really, we really want to see where these transformative use cases are, which, which transforms, uh, that follows the pattern of um, how the individuals are gaining value from the system. 
I mean, an example of Google is Google could have done a localized Google. They could have gone to large companies and said, listen, we'll will document all your internal documents and that's all they could have done. We could have built a search engine for all your internal documents and we sell it to you. But that wasn't transformative. The transformative use case was the one that organized all the information on the internet that wasn't localized, that was you know, all encompassing and that really organized the information on the internet and provided a transformative experience. In the same way, I think we need to think about how blockchain can can allow us to empower the individual to regain control of their data, their information, their financial services, and then from that build a beneficial partner partnership to both. And then for the individual, basically the same story in reverse. And um, there's a lot of hype around blockchain. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of ICOs. There's a lot of interesting things around there. And I really want you to, when you when you look at these things, really ask yourself the question: Is this something that can really be aided by decentralization? Is it something where I'm still trusting on a central point of failure? Am I still using a central point of failure? And and then ask yourself: Is it worth it? And is that really what the essence of of Bitcoin and blockchain technology all is about, or is it about you know empowering the individual, being empowered to verify everything? yourself through software, through tools out there. And yeah, that's where I want to leave you. Thank you. Thank you. Our, our next speaker is Pericles Tierios, and um, he will be talking to us. So he's a partner at True North Partners, where he provides uh, strategic advice and support to entrepreneurs and startups. And the title of his presentation is Blockchain Applications to Insurance, When is Blockchain the Appropriate Solution? So over to you, Pericles. I'm going to run a quiz. There's no prizes for this, but I want you all to participate. So how many of you here, please raise your hands, believe that blockchain is an opportunity for your firm? And how many of you do not really understand blockchain? <laughs> you haven't paid any attention until now, right? The, all that Louis just said. And I'm not even going to ask how many of you lifted your hand twice. But that's precisely what's happening. We're all excited about blockchain, but we still don't understand it. And the truth is that we don't understand it. Nobody understands it very well. So I'm not going to try to repeat again what blockchain is, but I'm going to try to raise some points around the understanding that we could develop based on things that we know. So blockchain, first of all, is a component of the distributed ledger architecture. But I'm also going to use the word uh, blockchain instead, just to keep things simple. And what the FCA, in a great document that I strongly advise all of you to read, it says that uh, blockchain is effectively a set of technological solutions that enable a single, sequence, standardized, and cryptographically secured record of activity to be safely distributed to a network of varied participants. And all these words are very important. I'm going to come back to them uh, during the presentation. So effectively, what are we going to say? Blockchain is new. We have a lot of things to learn. There's pot several potential applications of blockchain to insurance. But at the moment, a lot of the talk is just hype. Blockchain is not a silver bullet. It's not the one thing that's going to come and solve all your problems. So what is very important is we need to understand when is blockchain possibly the right solution for a business problem. And if there's something that you need to take out of this uh, conversation is start with the business problem you want to solve and then evaluate if blockchain is the right solution. Rather than saying, oh, I have a blockchain. Let's see what problems can I solve with it. Okay. Dilbert is by far my favorite corporate psychologist, so I'm going to leave it to him to explain, but I have felt several times exactly the same way that, that he describes in this specific uh, situation. <laughs> so because everybody's talking about blockchain, it's really bad to, be felt, to feel uh, left out. So I'm also going to talk about B3i. 
uh, which was which started by these five companies, and then a number of others started going on, and I guess Genry now is part of it, etc., etc. I'm sorry for what I'm saying from now on, but if we take, obviously blockchain requires uh, consortiums, and it's very important to have a number of firms together, but when you want to do something in a group of people or a group of firms, a lot of times it becomes painful. If we take R3, which is the B3I equivalent of, of a blockchain consortium in banking, what happened in, with the R3 is that they started about three or four companies, then they became 15, and then it became 60, and then they became 77, and then Goldman Sachs and Santander said, forget it. I'm not going to be part of a group that every decision requires 77 signatures from other companies that cannot even send an email on the same day to, to their own people to get approval. And I have a feeling that at some point, B3I is going to be the same. But it's, it's, it's normal. It's part of the journey. Everything we're observing with blockchain is part of a journey that we've seen before. So. This is, this is the credential I got from a vendor in one uh, blockchain implementation that was involved. So the vendor said that we have successfully implemented a blockchain-based solution to streamline a leading financial institution's internal processes. Amazing, right? That's on the brochure. And the same financial institution said that our blockchain implementation works like a slow database. Clearly not as excited about it, but I mean... That <laughs> uh, and, and another credential is after the proof of concept, we realized that having we were having a business model problem, and blockchain simply did not change it. They just put blockchain on, uh, to, to replicate on blockchain a problem that was already there and would not be addressed by it anyhow. This is the most important slide, uh, and if there's something to take away. Well, there's also a, a hyperlink underneath. I've written an article about this that will give you a lot more detail. But if we wanted to decide when is blockchain the right solution, we could go through this funnel. At first, we will start from the conceptual level. Is the data structured in a time chain? This is, I cannot highlight the importance of this. Blockchain, by definition, requires a time chain, but that a time chain is not equivalent to a timestamp. If all you care about is when somebody took an insurance contract and when a claim was made, you don't have to put this on blockchain. Put it in an SQL database and create a column called date. It's a lot. <laughs> It's a lot cheaper and it works. And if you're concerned about high c cyber attacks and immutability, just make a, data, a backup as well. Right? So uh, <laughs> the data needs to be structured in a time chain. Uh, Diamonds is a wonderful example. In Diamonds, we want to know where was it mined, which was the company that accredited the diamond, who was the previous owner, who was the next owner. Blockchain there works very, very well. Why? Because data is structured in a time chain. Data needs to be distributed across players. Building a blockchain in your own company is like um, putting a telephone in the same room, or is like building a highway to connect one of your meeting rooms to the next one. It, it, it doesn't make sense. You need to have a number of players that are willing to share data, and I'm gonna come back to that. Okay, but you need, data needs to be distributed. Last point, which is also very important, and I haven't heard enough about it. The data verification is more important than the data itself. Blockchain, well, it could be a database, but I can tell you now it's the most inefficiently designed database ever. Why? Because it was never designed to be a database. Blockchain is not there to carry data. Blockchain is very efficient in carrying a proof that the data is correct and accurate. If you load data on the blockchain and you want to have this thing uh, confirmed, verified across 7,000 nodes, you're not going to need 10 minutes or an hour that Bitcoin requires. You're going to, oh, I said the word Bitcoin, I didn't really didn't want to say it. Uh, uh, it's not going to take an hour, it's going to take weeks, right? Blockchain is about data verification, the proof that the data is correct and it's existing. 
based on the data itself. Then there's an o some operational questions that you can start asking yourself. For example, things like permissions. Uh, it was discussed, uh, Radoslav discussed yesterday whether you want to have a private blockchain, a little bit silly as we said, if you want to have a public blockchain with pros and cons or you want to have a, one, a blockchain based on permissions. You want to talk about the shared architecture, who carries the cost, because if you build for an insurance industry something, you're not going to pay uh, miners to do the mining for you. Probably you're going to have to pay it yourself, and you have to decide how you're going to pay it yourself. If you have a small insurer participating in the same consortium with a huge insurer, and the bulk of the volume goes to the other insurer, but maybe the other insurer also has lighter contracts that are coming through. So it, it can get quite complicated how you can share the infrastructure, you share the cost, and how do you share the data? Do you really want to share data? I mean, this is another thing about blockchain, right? We get very excited about it. Maybe because we think of it like, oh, I'm going to build a blockchain in my company. If you don't build a blockchain in your company, all of a sudden you're opening something that you never wanted to open. So keep this, uh, these questions in mind. And then there's a number of things of how you want to go about it. You may want to be a first mover because you want to sound you're very cool and that's, that's a good enough thing. Being a fast follower is also pretty good or you will. Indifferent, that's completely your choice. At the moment, let's stick to the conceptual funnel. That's the most important decision. If you tick these boxes, not necessarily all of them, but also, not, and not only all of them, but if you don't tick any of those boxes, most likely consider a different solution. Let's do another one. What's the best way to predict the future? Ah, cool. We're going to talk later about this. <laughs> this is the only way to predict the future. We cannot predict the future, guys. We can make predictions about the future, but the future itself, we cannot predict it. So, let's go with another one. How many of you here are actuaries? Okay, I know. <laughs> what is the best way to make predictions about the future? Historical data, right? Historical data is very misunderstood. Because, and, and, and granted, if we want to evaluate, uh, if we want to forecast tail events, historical data are a pretty, a pretty poor predictor of what's coming. But if we want to predict the body of the distribution, historical data is pretty damn good. Right? And what I'm trying to do here is I'm, gonna, I'm trying to predict the body of the distribution of what's going to happen in blockchain. And I think even though everything is new about blockchain itself, right? it's something that came out in 2008, 2009, not everything is new in the process of technological innovation. We've had other technological innovations that have come in the past. If we study them, I think we can understand well the innovation and the process that is going to follow within the blockchain universe as well. So, smart contracts, a lot of talk about them, and uh, they're often called the killer app of, of blockchain. But are they something really new? The answer is definitely not. JavaScript has appeared on Netscape version 1.1, that was the reason why Netscape got upgraded from version 1.0, in order to introduce scripts. What is script? A self-executing automated procedure that you can put on a platform. Therefore, what smart contracts are doing in blockchain, scripts have been doing on, on the internet and we have already your computer systems and your firms have tons of smart contract like pieces of code that we're already using. Therefore, when we talk about smart contracts again, maybe it's new that we have this kind of automated code on blockchain, but it's not new having automated code that can execute things without human intervention. Very important. Smart contracts in insurance. Actually, we've had this for a long time ago. I have, uh, it was uh, just over 10 years ago, I was living and working in New York City. And we're doing a lot of crazy things back then. And one of the things that I promised I was not involved in was to design parametric loss products. These products were basically the claims 
were paid based on trigger conditions being met rather than the occurrence of a loss. Uh, again, interestingly enough, Radoslav yesterday spoke about contracts, smart contracts that are executed on some environmental effects. Um, I'm sorry to say, but this is nothing new. We did that 11 years ago. We did it in 2006. And if you remember what happened in 2006, it was Hurricane Katrina. We had designed some parametric loss products that were conditional on the speed of the wind hitting a specific trigger, and the payout was dependent on how much the spread over that uh, trigger was. And obviously when Hurricane Katrina made uh, a landfall, it hit about, I don't know, 300 miles an hour when the trigger point was 150. You can imagine what happened to the insurance companies. Thankfully, we learned a lot. We had two hurricanes this year, two really big hurricanes in the United States. Nothing as big as what we saw with Hurricane Katrina. So smart contracts have been in insurance. Again, they were not on a blockchain, but hey, let's not forget about the lessons we've learned from, from equivalents uh, in the past. Automating claims. Anybody here from Lemonade? Okay, good, I'll continue. <laughs> so <laughs> so this, is, this comes from the annual report of Lemonade. The annual report was also written in the blog. If you're Lemonade, you have to be really cool, and I mean, they are really cool. So you're not gonna write this thing prospectus that comes on PDF and all these things that maybe boring actuaries would want to read. This is stuff that is, is cool. So here we go. We happily paid out $4,000 to Lemonade customers. I love the word happily. Um, the marketing department must have done a great job there. I don't know anybody <laughs> who's happy doing that. But, uh, but there's one claim that really got our attention, they continue saying in the blog. And this one helped us break a world record. Start to finish and without involving humans, all done by AI Jim. AI gym is what we would call a mainframe a few years ago, but now again you have to use some kind of cool uh, words for that. It was approved and wired in three seconds. And in fact, our team only found out about the entire thing after it was over. And that's where I started getting chills down my spine. Okay, so you, they paid out a claim. Okay, obviously these are really small values and maybe that I can understand in the short term space without even the humans knowing about it. And I started thinking again uh, the time that I was back in New York City. Bear Stearns was the coolest of the investment banks back then. I can tell you that. They had the coolest building. I mean, it, looks, it really looks like Batman's Gotham City thing. They had the coolest swimming pool on the first floor. They had licensed gym, uh, incredible cafeterias, and also they had an automatic collateral posting system that would pay immediately the margin calls in real time on their, on their derivative positions. So when the derivative would exceed the threshold, the margin call would come in and that computer would automatically, automatically pay the, pay the post, uh, the collateral. Back then that was, that was the coolest thing ever. I mean, you had to work for Bear Stearns just, just, just for that, because they had this automatic collateral system. Then, as we know, something started going not so well with something called subprime. I don't remember too well what it was. I was not involved. And, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, 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 that and obviously the, the credit position of Bear Stearns starts deteriorating. What does this do? It increases the, the spreads on the derivatives, the payouts started coming, the computer was paying and was paying and was paying, and at some point, uh, literally somebody had to take the plug out of the, <laughs> the wall to stop that computer paying. The bank bears, unlike, there's something very important, right? The Lehman Brothers that uh, Louis mentioned went under because they went insolvent. The value of their liabilities exceeded the value of their assets. Bear Stearns was not insolvent, it was illiquid. And that, it happened precisely because of that. It was a spiral of liquidity going out in an environment that we shouldn't have been having these amazing, cool, automated solutions. So what I want to say, sometimes the reason for not automating does not have to do with technology or its availability. The fact that we have blockchain and smart contracts on its own is not a reason to go and automate everything. 
because there's a lot of times that you simply do not want to automate things. There's a lot of times that you would like to have a human person making sure that before you make a gigantic reinsurance payment, somebody goes and verifies it first, and it's in between us, it's better for you to default on another counterparty rather than vice versa, right? <laughs> I never said that. Are these on record? <laughs> <laughs> this is recorded, right? Uh, that wasn't me. Uh, now, okay, uh, sometimes people tell me that I sound a little bit negative and, and pessimistic. That's not the case at all. I'm just trying to make people cautious. Uh, I'm not, uh, why we should be cautious? Why? Because we have studied history and we understand that technological evolution goes through a process. At the same time, we don't know what we don't know. And just like when the internet was developed and all we knew was the email, nobody knew that the development of the internet would destroy the taxi business. And similarly, nobody knows what uh, blockchain may do. But this is not going to happen tomorrow. This is not going to happen next year. It's probably not even going to happen in five years. But what's going to happen in the future is, is, is something very different. And we need to keep that in mind. So what are some potential blockchain applications in insurance? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about identity claims and maybe car salvage. So let's go. Do you remember that operational funnel we talked about? So we, we need to talk a bit about identity. We said data verification is more important than data itself. Brilliant, right? Because in identity, identity on blockchain, you don't carry the identity document. You just carry the proof of the identity. Why is this great for me potentially? And if it's set up properly, we, that's a completely different discussion and, and very important discussion as well. Because every time I go to an insurer to open, uh, to get a product, they will ask me for a photocopy of my passport and a photocopy of everything else and bills. And then I'm going to go to do something else. And again, they're going to ask me for a photocopy of my passport. And I don't even know how many people in the world at the moment have photocopies of my passport flying around and how many of them have even used them for something else. On the blockchain, I will not put a photocopy of my passport. I will just put a verification that says that I am really the person that I'm claiming to be. Therefore, this is great. Tick the box. Data distributed across players, yes, again, because obviously if you have a, an, a government-sponsored identity document on blockchain, everybody can access it. But again, it's not going to access the details. It's just going to access the proof that I'm really the person I'm claiming to be. The data is not structured in a time chain. I think that's important. What I'm trying to illustrate that it's not always necessary that we tick every one of the boxes. But two of the three and two very important ones have been ticked. Identity is definitely going to be an application. It will be driven or it should be driven by governments. Uh, Estonia is quite close. Sweden is probably quite close. And India has all the infrastructure available at the moment after the electronic ID implemented a couple of years ago to do it. So we can watch this space. Claims is the one space in insurance where blockchain really has the potential to do things, but, and the huge but is just technological. So again, I don't think technology is ever a constraint, it's just we need to be careful. But why do I think that claims is probably an area where a blockchain application is very valid? Well, data is structured in a time chain, that's obvious, right? Let's, again, let's take the PNC space because a lot, well, I mean, it doesn't matter. But I mean, I crash my car or I, I get a, a health something. So first is the trigger event. Uh, then is the evaluation of the damage. Then is the payout, then is the closure, etc. So the data is very clearly structured in a time chain. Tick. Data is distributed across players. Again, if we look at the car thing, uh, you have the insurance company, you have the car owner, you have the panel beater, you have the assessor. You have a number of people who need to participate on the blockchain to put the data uh, and share it together. That's great. A lot of people are now talking about the Internet of Things and how this is going to automate things on the blockchain. I mean, come on. 
uh, maybe in 10 years time it's okay but uh, uh, the last thing I was shown was an incredible application that is doing uh, is using uh, Internet of Things to evaluate things that are happening in your house and if my dishwasher is gonna flood etc and I'm thinking like who's got an internet connected dishwasher I definitely don't and I consider myself quite technologically kind of keen and stuff uh, data verification more important than the data itself well I've put a cross but it's possible that it's also uh, that this can be the case as well uh, but it's not necessary and car salvage is the same and we discussed about this yesterday a potential blockchain application is to verify that if somebody claims on one insurance company for the car and the same accident cannot do the same on another one again based on the on the distributed architecture we have out there so there are quite a few ap potential applications of blockchain to insurance we're not ready to ap apply them today for a number of reasons but that doesn't mean that they may not come in a number of years uh, forward but also Blockchain is not going to change absolutely everything in insurance. It's not going to make definitely actuaries uh, jobless. None of that is going to happen. There's still going to be an actuary underwriting, or I hope, uh, before any, any contract boots, as gets put on a, on a smart contract on the blockchain. So let's summarize. Blockchain is a new technology. And just like all new technologies, it has its pros and it has its cons. There are business problems. I like the word business problems where blockchain could be the right solutions, and there's other problems also where blockchain could not. Just like any new technology, it will take time before we understand it, apply it properly, and harness its benefits. So on the way, we're going to have to learn a number of things. So my suggestion is start small, be prepared to make mistakes, but also do not shy away from learning, because in the end, good judgment is the result of, of experience, and experience is the result of bad judgment. And I'll leave you with this quote from Mark Twain, and I'll open the room to four questions. Louise, you want to come and join? Okay, we've got about 15 minutes for questions, and there, I'm sure there are roving mics. Does anybody have a question? <coughs> so, do you have any mics? Just while we're waiting for the mic, please remember to uh, rate the speakers and uh, the talk on your app. Hi. Hello. Okay, so during yesterday's talk on, on blockchains, um, especially with, with application to, to smart contracts, it, uh, um, it, was, it, was, uh, it was told that uh, what's stored on the blockchain is not the contract itself, but the, 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 the hash that was generated for that contract. Now, hash algorithms have a history of, of being broken. Um, assuming a, a blockchain uses a hash algorithm, and that hash algorithm gets broken, what happens then? Does the, do all the hashes need to be recalculated based on a, a, a new hash algorithm, or what's going to happen there? Um, should we start with Louis, and then if Pericles yeah. wants to add anything? Um, am I on? Can you guys hear me? Oh, there we go. Um, the um, the it depends on the on the blockchain where, where the contract is stored in, in Ethereum. I think the the way I understand Ethereum is the the transaction is the contract. Bitcoin blockchain is developing more of the notion of the result of the execution of the transaction of that contract will be stored in the blockchain and will, will, will trigger the final transaction. That's my rough understanding of it. But they're still developing lots of different things on that. And often there is a hash involved. Um, if if um, the 
Bitcoin blockchain is dependent on hash functions in, in many different ways, and they have been broken, but they're all also modular. Um, the concept of a blockchain doesn't change if you change the hash function. Um, the, the hash function could potentially be changed and upgraded and, 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 and done that. The same applies to the public-private key in, crypto in cryptography that was discussed yesterday as well, where that, that cryptography could essentially replace from elliptic curve to another type of cryptography if the need arises, although that will be quite a process to get there. But these things don't get broken in you know, usually don't get broken in one fell swoop. People start to evaluate weaknesses, and especially these well-established cryptography primitives, these building blocks of blockchain, they tend to break over time. People slowly start to discover them, and as soon as that starts happening, people start moving away from, from the existing protocols. I keep reminded all the time, I'm in an actuarial conference, uh, I wanted to focus on the business things, and I'm getting a geeky question. <laughs> 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 I mean, generally, I want to say that we should not be too concerned about the technological aspects. One is because maybe we're going to make stronger hash contracts. Also, we need to keep in mind that if you compromise one hash, <coughs> the rest of the infrastructure is going to erase that because there's not going to be uh, agreement between all of the platforms. Obviously, if you compromise all the hash, or if the hash comes in corrupt from the beginning, that's a different discussion. Um, but so there's always there's always problems. We still know very little about the cyber risk questions around blockchain. Uh, at this very moment, but I would say uh, start with thinking what are the business problems you want to solve and at least at the moment worry less about technology. There's incredible people out there who are working on the technological aspects. It's just that they have no idea what they're trying to solve for other than the maths. So we need to help them with that. I think uh, Radislav said yesterday that if they break these hashing algorithms then it's not blockchain only that's uh, you know, at risk. It's all the yeah. banking and financial services that happen on the, on the internet that, that are going to be at risk. Yeah, th those things are used everywhere. Um, everything, every time you click open your browser, it's been used. So just behind you first and then, thank you. Um, I've got a really basic question that's going to show that I haven't really been following probably most of what you've been saying. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you talk about just needing to verify that what you say who you say you are is in fact who you are, but you don't actually have the, uh, the ID document or whatever on the chain. I don't get that. Uh, who, who, uh, I am who I say I am, and look at my block on the chain. <laughs> like, and, and then you open it, there's a thumbs up. Yes, he is who he says he is. Trust this guy. I don't get it. Can, can can you know? Has he been listening or has he been listening too well? <laughs> I, uh, I think it's a bit of both. Right, right so. There's a lot of written about identity on, on blockchain, first of all. So if anybody's keen to, to learn a lot more than this, uh, imagine it as a digital wallet. At the moment, I have a digital wallet on my phone that is on, I'm holding bitcoins, let's say, right? So the digital wallet says who I am, that I am the one who holds these things. It's effectively the same thing. Obviously, if the hash function gets compromised, it's a problem. The main challenge when it comes to identity is the creation of my identity in the first place. I would love, maybe not me, but some, a, a lot of criminals, again, I'm on camera, others would love to find a corrupt government official and set up a fake identity on blockchain. The rest of your life is going to be a breeze because nobody's going to go and check what happens. Everybody trusts the blockchain, right? That's the whole point about it, trust. But if, you don't, if the trust has been compromised at the beginning, then you trust a broken, a broken link, and that's going to be the biggest risk of all. And that's why, in my opinion, it's kind of futile an insurance company to set up a Mm -hmm. identity on blockchain. The government needs to do it and the insurers need to come on board and utilize that technology for their own benefit.
Um, I want to I want to disagree a little bit there. Sorry, I want to disagree a little bit there because I think there's there's in the in the developed world there's there's a lot of trust in the government, but in a lot of the the countries that we deal in, there is no systems, there is no central government to trust on, or there is governments, but they're not capable of providing that service in a distributed way. And there's also a new concept of identity emerging. I mean, how often do you log into websites with your Google or your Facebook login, right? You just log in, and that is a that's a form of identity as well. How do you control that history of that identity? How do you prove that that identity is yours and how, how long it's been been going on? And and it, it becomes a transaction that you sign digitally to say, here's proof I can sign a private message to prove that this this public key, this key representing me, is in fact me because I, ca I control that key. It's essentially the, the practical, the right to the bare bones practical side of it. Um, I just wanted to ask, if you implementing these solutions, so we've seen sort of yesterday and today uh, use cases for uh, financial services as well as insurance. Um, if you're implementing, let's say, a new claim system, an automated claim system, let's take blockchain out of the equation. Mm. I mean, that would take X amount of time to implement. You know, it's not like mm. we're going to all go back to work on Thursday and it will, you can implement it on Friday, sort of. Yeah. Um, so with blockchain involved, I mean, it's new, it's interesting. How long do you think, I mean, let's say we decided on a project we want to put blockchain in to automate our claims procedure. How long would that take, would you say, like in a big insurer like a Discovery or a Old Mutual? I mean, Longer than years before. or 10 years or? Longer than before, for sure, because mm -hmm. we're trying to learn something new. I mean, it's impossible to say. It also depends on the customization, how you want to set it up. If, I mean, we're trying to implement blockchain and there has been some use cases that are, well, quite successful in trade finance. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that even though we put the trust on the blockchain, we still need to rely on a security guard in Somalia that indeed this big ship that was full of wheat came to the port and that all the wheat was there and it was in good quality, etc. So, you know, that tick box on that will end up on the blockchain is as good as or bad as you, you start. So, if you, wanted to autom if you want to keep the existing process, like Radoslav yesterday said, that collections are unfortunately are still as old world as possible. But I mean, it's it's essential. If he if he tried to pretend that they tried to fix that one as well, he he would roll out his software, his his company in 2025. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think you have to ask as well. Um, what is the problem that you're trying to solve, and does it is it solved by decentralization and trustlessness? And in some cases, it is not. Some in some cases, the claim problem will be solved by having a good system where you have a point of sale terminal in every car shop and every and every doctor's room to assess those claims or whatever the case might be and, and to some degree that decentralization might not be to the benefit but if you can leverage that decentralization into something that really empowers the customer and it really makes the customer feel certain that this claim is going to be paid in a valid and a legal way, and I don't have to trust the claims assessor or discovery or mutual or whatever company I'm dealing with. I can trust based on objective evidence that, you know, based on my medical health file, which I hold decentrally, um, that I'm going to get that claim paid or I'm going to get underwritten at the standard rate. If you can do that, that's, that's when it becomes transformative for me. Any other questions? So I've got one question before we close off. I mean, you did mention it about the sharing of data. Who's willing to share data? 
I mean, are there any use cases, for example, healthcare data for the public good, where people would be willing to share data but have it locked down in the blockchain or have access to it locked down in the blockchain so that, you know, for the common good, so somebody's in an accident, somebody can access their health record through the blockchain based on predetermined policies that are set up on that blockchain through mm -hmm. smart contracts. Let Louis talk, he's you're a lot closer okay. to that. I think, I think that's, very in that's a very interesting use case, um, especially where that control is not sitting in the corporate. I, I really do think, if we want to really embrace this, we need to go to the individual and, and embrace them. And, and where that corporate is allowing the individual to control that information in a decentralized and a trustless manner, I think that's, I think that's what you're talking to. So it's not the company deciding who gets uh, Louis' medical health records. It's the individual deciding under what conditions and how he wants to share that. And it talks a little bit to just poppy stuff in general, but it also talks to having approvable control of that process. I mean, to this morning, um, there was a massive data release. I just saw it just five minutes before the session that 30 million South Africans' data just got leaked. So if you're in this room, your data got leaked. Um, and that is, that is what we, that's, that's what we're going to see more and more of in the future. And if we can take back control of that information and that, and that uh, you know, data, but as well as our financial services, I think it's a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah, there's also an additional benefit, which I, I don't think is going to be mutually exclusive with what's happening today. At the moment, we are sharing a lot of our data, and very willingly so, on platforms like Facebook, etc. And when I see somebody posting a photo and say, uh, oh, my, my young sister got diagnosed with something and they put it on Facebook, I'm wondering what the insurance company who reads it is going to think about it. Um, with blockchain, we do have a potential to keep this data a lot more private. Of course, the same person who's going to put a date on blockchain and keep it private is going to also post it on Facebook. We cannot do prevent one with the other. But it's exactly these, these potential use cases that can demonstrate some of the potential power of the, of the new application. And if we don't have any uh, further questions or comments, I'd like to thank the speakers. One more question. We Sorry, one more. We have time. We do have time. We've got nine <laughs> minutes left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I literally saw a tweet five minutes before I started, so um, I want to find a spot to bring it up. But I do think that type of thing, Equifax in the US, I can talk a bit more about basically these large central points of failure controlling lots of information behind the scenes in a completely uh, black box fashion. Nobody's really aware of what these companies are doing with, with you and your personal information. I think things like blockchain can really change the way we, we interact with that. And if we, if we change that, that analogy to financial services as well, um, the, there's a lot of tran uh, non-transparent stuff happening in financial services, and if we can make that open and accessible to individuals, I think there's a, there's a lot, of, lot of potential there. It's an interesting point that links to the first question. So um, at the moment, somebody needs to make a lot of effort, but if they get into Equifax, they get a treasure trove of information because for whatever reason, Equifax didn't decide to encrypt the data they were holding. So thankfully, blockchain is from its foundations built on encrypted technology. And I'm not aware of any blockchain implementation that do not have encryption, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, it's possible, but at least we started <laughs> with a good lesson and, and everything is encrypted. Now, coming back to the question, could somebody break into this encryption? Well, then if the answer were to be yes, then these people do not have to go and attack the specific server of Equifax in New Jersey or whatever. And they have 7,000 copies of all the records <laughs> flying around the world. They can choose whichever one they want to go into and, and break in. So again, as I said, the, the cyber risk co consequences of blockchain are not very well understood. Uh, mm. I mean, we can trust technology in general, but there's a lot of things, again, that we don't know that we don't know. 
I just thought of another question now. Do you think that regulation will be able to keep up with the technology? So if, for instance, a bank wanted to open its own blockchain where it could use it as a mechanism to transfer ran-backed currency between people, would the regulation actually be ready for something like that? I'm not going to say more things um, on the record. I, I, um, <laughs> I, haven't been working, <laughs> I haven't been working a lot with the regulator, but I do think um, I think there's a general thing happening in the world that there's a lot of startups who may or may not be using blockchain technology, but um, are we seeing um, a lot of people, especially in a cross-border situation, you offer a solution <coughs> online, you don't really control where that solution is going, um, and that means that you touch a lot of regulations that you don't mean to touch. A lot of the regulations are also unclear in terms of some of the concepts because um, uh, uh, some people are designing products that doesn't actually fit the mold anymore. And, and that causes causes problems. But I, I think I think um, Radislav's approach was right. And I've, I've heard of people going to the regulator in South Africa and saying, you know, we've, we're doing this thing. It doesn't fit the box. You tell us where we should, what we should do. And, and, and that kicks off a process of uh, engagement. And I do see a lot of the regulators are um, quite keen to engage on, on, on new, new startups in general, not just blockchain. I think there is some um, red flags on the blockchain side around cross-border transmission and money and tax and all those sort of things which are, are, are causing concerns but I know that the Reserve Bank is actually doing a lot in blockchain space as well. Um, the JSEs also have a, has a division looking at blockchain technology in terms of that. So I think there is some um, hurdles but I do think it's the regulators seem to be open to conversations. Five minutes. should talk to Tan Brown about this. <laughs> uh, I mean, both are very valid questions. They're quite a bit down the line. But I do want to touch on, uh, on kind of the, 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 the combination of blockchains. One of the biggest problems that the blockchain industry is having at the moment is that there's no standards. I'm working with a team at the cryptography department in the University of Athens, and we have developed our own platform for blockchain. We have even created a drag and drop application. You can create blockchain without coding. You just take things and you put them. You put them in. These, all these things are very simple and it works and we've tested it and all this is great. If somebody else does the same thing here, most likely the standards that we're using are not the same. The University of Cambridge released a paper, maybe even last week, uh, where again they identify the lack of standards as the biggest impediment to blockchain growth at the moment. We need an ISO, if I call it this way, for blockchain the development. Mm -hmm. So that everyone who does some sort of blockchain implementation, at least have some foundational elements that will allow things to work together. I mean, I have to laugh when people say that blockchain doesn't require, one of the benefits of blockchain is that it does not require reconciliation. I'm saying, well, that's a little bit rubbish, excuse the word, because if you only have one database in your company, that also doesn't require reconciliation, right? If you run one blockchain, that doesn't require reconciliation, but the second you're going to try to put two blockchains to talk to each other, you're going to need a lot of reconciliation and we're going to need blockchain ETLs and whatever other technology we have developed at the moment. Um, so before we start getting worried about 
kind of how can we do data analytics across blockchains. I think the first thing that we need to do, and now I'm getting into technological space, we need to sort out the standards upon which blockchain technology should ideally be based so that they give us that potential further down the line. We're still a very long way from that, very, very long way from that. I want to answer your, your analytics question in two parts. Um, there's people doing an, an analysis of blockchain um, networks, trying to link together transactions. And because the ledger is public, that stuff is being possible. So kind of solutions to avoid that is there's a lot of different techniques evolving to avoid that um, analysis and to make the, tr the currency more anonymous. One of them being Lightning Network to really take the transactions off chain and only resort to the chain as a as a last resort. So you you keep the anchor of trust in the in the in the, ne in the, in the blockchain network, but you can can transact and contract privately. Um, the other bit what, that's very interesting about all this stuff which which is happening with blockchain is that there's a whole lot of um, cryptographic techniques coming to the forefront now based on this technology that people are starting to realize there's applications for. One of the interesting ones is. Um, they're, they're developing something called conf confidential um, transactions, which essentially allows you to encrypt even the amount of the transaction. So that you publish the confidential transaction, people are to cr cryptographically be able to add the amounts in the transaction to make sure they add to the total, but they don't actually know the individual amounts or the total. So you can do that behind the scenes. So that brings the question that do we do analytics models that predict your claim status or your underwriting status um, on a cryptographic way. Can somebody come to me and share all the information encoded, encrypted, so I don't actually know what the information is, but can I run a computation on that to determine whether it's a valid claim or a valid underwriting case? And that to me is also very interesting and exciting, so that we can transact with people without actually knowing what the information is, but uh, still being able to verify cal cal calculations of that. I think I can add uh, one of my thoughts on this is that the blockchain could provide a conduit for access for researchers and analysis people to actually access the data with you know, the individual's permission to do specific pieces of research and analytics on it. That, that data doesn't necessarily sit on the blockchain, but the access to that data to actually do some research on it is managed through the blockchain system. Okay, we've got one minute left. If it's a very quick comment or question, we can take it. Otherwise, we're going to have to close off. Okay, I'd like to thank the speakers. Can you give them a round of applause? And remember to rate them on the poll.